Live. It's America's longest running talk show on computers. It's Computer America, bringing you the biggest names in technology with guest interviews, new products, and your emails. Listen live at ComputerAmerica.com on any device around the world. Email the show at live at ComputerAmerica.com or find us on social media. Be sure to check out our website for contests, giveaways, show notes, live video stream, podcasts, and more. You're listening to Computer America. Hello and welcome into the Computer America show. We are the nation's longest running nationally syndicated radio talk show on computers and technology. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Ben Crossman. And hey, you know what? We have a great show planned for you where, uh, or, you know, uh, second part of the show, as usual, will be computer and technology news, where we go over the latest and greatest tech stories and everything that you need to know about. Uh, yesterday was heavily dominated by NVIDIA for obvious reasons, but uh, don't worry, we have a lot uh, more variety today. So, uh, that's going to be a lot of fun, but in the first segment, as we usually do, we have a guest joining us and, uh, first time, uh, you know, first time talking with them, but, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun because it's, uh, about an area that, while I don't think it's caught on as fast as a lot of people hoped, predicted, what have you, uh, we're still heading very strong into a future where, augmented reality, virtual reality, they are not just uh, hobbyists, they're not just enthusiasts, but it's going to be part of our everyday lives. So, and hey, to help accomplish that, you do need to have some form of advertising in it, but do traditional advertising methods translate well, or is something like AdMix here uh, in what their, their product is, is something like what AdMix have the answer for the future. So, we're going to talk to them in just a moment, but uh, real quick, everyone, ComputerAmerica.com, that's where you'll find everything from a link to our guest website to uh, any articles, videos, anything that we show here on the program today. So if you're busy, if your hands are tied, don't worry, we got you covered. Also, be sure to check out the social media contest brought to you by Logitech and check out the live video stream, which is uh, also available over at Twitch.tv forward slash ComputerAmerica. Very simple. So, all right. All that being said, those are the obvious things. Let's go ahead and get into our conversation with our guest. So joining us from Admix, A-D-M-I-X, is Mr. Samuel uh, is Mr. Samuel Huber, and he is the founder and CEO of the company. So Samuel, thank you for taking time to uh, join us here, and uh, welcome on to Computer America. Hey, thanks for having me, Ben. Our pleasure, our pleasure. So let's go ahead and get a bit of a background on yourself and, oh wait, uh, yeah, we're good. So give us a bit of background on yourself and AdMix. Um, so uh, obviously you're the founder, uh, what gave you the idea to start the company and have you always been in technology? I mean, AR is a very new technology. Um, yeah, just give us some background. Sure. So um, I actually studied uh, physics and engineering. I, uh, my first job out of uni was uh, working for a Formula One company, Mercedes, uh, as a strategy engineer. So it's fairly different from what I'm doing now. Uh, but I always had the entrepreneur bug and always wanted to do, do my own thing. So towards 2008, uh, 2011, 2012, I started really to pay attention to consumer behavior and um, figured out that you know the mobile this new interface that kind of was nascent at the time was really going to be where we would uh, spend most of our attention. Um, so I really wanted to be involved uh, in a mobile project. Um, I eventually left my job 
uh, at the age of 22, uh, create my own company, which at the time was a very kind of naive and simple idea. I just wanted to have a small team and develop cool mobile apps. Um, so this was our first studio. Um, we ended up developing projects for brands, uh, but also for ourselves, our own IP. Uh, some of them, of course, were more successful than others. We ended up spinning up a few of those projects. Uh, we ended up selling, actually, one of our best games, which, which was called Rock Trader. Um, and it was one of the first binary trading apps, uh, but not on a real stock, but on a, a virtual stock that we had developed. So the idea was a simple gameplay. You had one buy button, one sell button. Um, you could buy this fake stock if the stock was going up and you could sell it at a higher price, then you made profit. You could compare that with your friends, log it with Facebook, do some competition. And just through um, word of mouth and very, very light marketing, we managed to grow that to a couple, um, couple thousand daily active users and eventually caught the eye of a bigger developer. Right. So that's kind of my first uh, couple of years of experience. Um, but of course, really what the, the big lesson here was that Creating content, monetizing content is, is something very hard. Uh, even when we had this app that, you know, eventually got acquired, um, in terms of revenue, I mean, we were, we were struggling to, to generate consistent revenue from the app. We had all kinds of strategies around in-app purchase. Um, you know, I didn't like the idea of having banner ads at the bottom or a pre-roll or interrupting the users. But at the end of the day, we were kind of forced to go towards those routes because, as you know, most users do not like to pay. We had users who, you know, really enjoyed uh, the game. They were fans of the game, uh, interacting with us, um, spending a lot of money on in-app purchase. But that's really half a percent, uh, up to maybe two percent, if you know the mechanics are very well um, designed. Um, most of the audience is is not going to pay for this type of content. So we ended up having to work with some, you know, mobile ad networks. And I was really shocked and frustrated by how little, um, how little creativity was left for us to implement. You know, it's literally a line of code. You implement it and then you have ads. You can't control them. You can't control when they happen. Uh, you can't control the size. You, you can't control nothing. And it really starts to affect your experience. You make short-term revenue, but you kind of um, shoot yourself in the foot because your users eventually get pissed off and so right. on. So. I had this kind of relationship with, you know, advertising, uh, being really annoyed at it, but having to use it because there was no other ways to generate consistent revenue. So that's kind of how this whole idea that eventually, you know, I kind of made it my personal mission that I wanted to change that, do that, do, do a better job to help small content developers like we were, but also the bigger ones uh, generate revenue in a better way. Uh, but this wasn't really possible until now because the way that mobile works, the real estate on a, on a mobile phone is, is fairly small. There's not that many options to you know, stick banners or videos. That's really as far as you, as you can go. Um, but eventually, when I tried virtual reality for the very first time in 2015, I just had this revelation and, you know, seeing that 360 content, the fact that you can turn around, there's this sense of depth as well. Um, for me, it was really um, very clear that we could, for the very first time, do a better job at this because there is so much real estate that we can brand and that we can interact, integrate with the environment without really um, interrupting the users that um, I kind of decided to, to create this small project, just inter integrating some brands as part of a VR experience, uh, very naively, just to see what it would look like. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we ended up catching the eye of our existing clients. That was for another company at the time. Um, and eventually thought, you know what, there is really something there because as soon as you realize what VR, AR is going to become, which is not just a gaming platform, not just, you know, the new console, but really a new computing platform, a new interface beyond the screen um, that is going to eventually, step by step, really going to change the way that we display and share information. Um, you know that there will be the need for a new business model for it because paid content is going to work for a small amount of users like it has done on mobile, but most of the audience is not going to pay for content. And therefore, um, you know, we need to build an economy for it. We need to incentivize content creators, give them reasons to build content 
And that reason is making revenue so that they can build bigger teams, reinvest it and build even better content. Um, so that's really what we see as our mission is to create that economy, a sustainable economy for the XR economy, whether it's VR or AR. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that we want to do this is by creating a better future for advertising, which is non-intrusive product placement. So it's using the um, the geometry of this media, which is, of course, three-dimensional. Uh, users can really move into it and try to integrate brands in a way that is that is really non-intrusive. Um, so you can imagine, you know, product placement, like a, a banner on a wall is a very simple example, or a video playing on a screen, or even a 3D model of a product laying somewhere in front of you. Well, and the user and, wonders. And, and, and I'm sorry to cut in here real quick, but, uh, you know, that was kind of my first experience with, you know, kind of dynamic advertising in video games in particular. I know that we're not talking strictly video games, but I believe it was either, it was like FIFA or NHL or one of these other uh, you know, kind of sports titles, they, you know, obviously if you go to a real sporting event, every inch of the wall and they have right. uh, signs, they're all covered in advertising. And in the video game, they were able to change, change those dynamically. You know, if you upload, uh, yep. if you upload like a 400 by 200 banner, that would cycle through any random number. And, and one thing that it really did for me that I, that I kind of enjoyed was that, it didn't date the game. You know, it, it wasn't like, um, you know, it, it wasn't like if you pick up, let's say, NHL 2006, you're going to see a lot of advertising for Wachovia Bank. And it's like, mm-hmm. you know, Wachovia is not even around anymore. Um, right. Is there any kind of added value to the fact that, you know, these ads, you know, they aren't just hard coded in, they're, they're going to change? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, even talking to the big players right now, which I'm not going to name, but have, you know, 10 years deal with MasterCard and that's like a, a lump sum that is given to them to place MasterCard in every of their game. MasterCard then cannot change the message and 10 years from now, you know, they might want a product, they might want to uh, promote a slightly different product or even better adapt the messaging based on the user that actually sees this, uh, this ad. So, you know, there's definitely benefit on the advertiser side, but of course also on the developer side and, and more importantly, even on the user. Um, what we're really trying to do here is having the advertiser, the developer, and the user aligned. Um, you know, they, are, they need to be looking in the same direction. So what we identified as very important for this type of ads is, first of all, non-intrusiveness. That means that it will never interrupt the user because that's really what annoys people. It's not really that you have ads. You know, in the street, if you walk and you see a billboard, you don't really get annoyed at that because you can choose not to look at it. What's really annoying is when you're trying to read an article and something comes in front of it and you have to literally close this little window. That's really annoying. That's intrusiveness. Um, and the second thing is relevance, right? Is seeing something, like you said, that even if it doesn't intrude, if it's irrelevant to the content or if it's a brand that doesn't exist anymore, it just kind of breaks the immersion. Right. It doesn't look real. So the idea is really here to make the content as real as possible. We're not saying that, you know, we're going to put ads everywhere in VR and AR, but there's a lot of application, like you say, sports games, for example, uh, things that happen indoors or in a city, um, you know, entertainment, application, education, uh, all of those in the real world have some level of advertising. And because VR is just recreating that in a digital space, we believe that advertising has definitely space um, and, you know, will help these developers actually generating decent income from their creation. Right. And for anyone out there watching the video portion of the show, uh, if you go to obviously your homepage there at at, at AdMix, uh, you kind of given it a you know a pretty obvious example where you know before you would have a banner ad and then uh, after you know this little sidebar it would maybe put a can of Pepsi on the table and you know so instead of saying hey Pepsi is you know banner adding this it's hey you know there's Pepsi right there in front of you like you uh, and, and this is actually one of my questions I wanted to ask you about this whole thing like. Uh, obviously, if you see a can of virtual Pepsi there, you're going to go, oh, look, Pepsi. You know, I'm thinking about Pepsi now. That's, that is what it is. Um, but at the same time, there, a big push over the past couple of years has been this idea that you, you should, as a consumer, you should know what, 
what is being advertised to you. Uh, you know, you have to clearly state when something is an advertisement, when you're being paid for it, that kind of thing. Um, you know, the content obviously it works much more naturally when you use virtual reality objects in a virtual reality uh, application. But uh, my question to you kind of involves how do you clearly denote what's an advertisement versus what's a creative choice by the developer? Sure, yeah. So the line is definitely getting blurry. And actually, one of the force of this type of advertising, we believe, is that it actually becomes part of the creative process again. The way that our platform actually works is that developers, the content creators, actually decide where they want to place those ads, right? That's, remember the frustration that I had that, you know, the banner has only one location mm -hmm. initially. Um, so what we wanted to create is really this freedom for the developers to say, okay, this is, this part of my content is going to be sold to advertisers and I can select the size of it and also the category. So that becomes part of the creative process. Of course, we need to tell the user that um, this is actually an ad. Um, so we're implementing, you know, the, all this stuff, there's no guidelines for in VR and AR, right? So you might have this little creative link um, on, you know, Google ads. And if you click on the bottom, um, bottom right corner of a, of a banner ad, it tells you, you know, you can report the ad, you can hide it. So we're implementing the same kind of process in VR. Um, in VR, of course, there is no direct click. The idea is that you would interact with it um, e either using controllers in a high-end virtual reality experience, but most likely um, via gaze, which is where you actually look. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is how you know that kind of Pepsi can have different level of interaction. If you look at it for long enough, it can start to animate, or you can have a form and you can sign up for something, for example. So it's all really opt-in based. Um, and at the same time, as you look at the item, we also notify the user in a subtle way that you know, this is a product placement. Um, so we're implementing that. We're trying to work with you know, the IAB, the International uh, Interactive Advertising Bureau, sorry, to, uh, to define all those, all those standards and to really um, create an experience that works for everyone. Right. And, and, and that's going to be super important going forward, because I think, uh, you know, if if you're not very transparent about this, like you we even have a video uh, up on your website, I recommend everyone go check it out. But you have a video that, you know, just looking at the thumbnail itself, uh, it's a, you know, obviously it's a picture of someone's actual house. Like it's a real, you know, kind of upscale, uh, I'm sorry, upscale kind of apartment and, or I guess penthouse condo, whatever. And uh, let's see, I see a pizza box, see a magazine, I see a designer handbag, all of which I assume are, you know, kind of items that were, mm -hmm. of course, you know, a, a video streaming service on the wall. All of them were kind of placed there after the fact. Uh, look natural in the setting, of course, you know, they're not jarring. It's not, uh, you know, it's not a giant can of soda floating, you know, floating on the ceiling, but, uh, obviously, you know, it, it's, uh, it's something that, uh, it works naturally, but at the same time, I think people are still going to want to know that, uh, Hey, you know, th this is, this is going to change, you know, the next time that I come around, it's not something that they decided to put there. It will obviously they decided to, but it's, it's something that is, I guess, kind of subject to change in my experience. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, this is very important for us that the, the, the public people who consume this content understand what it is. Um, we're definitely starting something that is different and new ways to advertise, which we believe that, um, you know, from our feedback that we have people like because they can choose to interact with it or not. Uh, it becomes an object in the scene that can actually be fun to play with those objects because you can grab them just like it's any other object in the scene. Um, but of course, you know, there are, there is um, a lot of things that need to be put in place to really build standards so that when they see this kind of uh, placement and they look at it for a certain amount of time, it becomes clear that this is not a normal object. This is right. something that has been, promoted by an advertiser. So all this stuff is, you know, stuff that we are, we are working on with the regulators yeah. um, to make sure that we can really build standards that, that work for, um, for the users as well. Yeah, it happens all the time where technology definitely outpaces policy. And uh, hey, you know, you're you're in a pretty good spot. You get to it's uh, a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you get to kind of uh, set set the guidelines that are going to uh, kind of shape this. And of course, you know, taking a little step back, getting a, a broader view. If you could talk about 
the state of the virtual reality, augmented reality platform uh, in general. Because when, when we talk about VR, uh, there are a few applications that come to mind in terms of like, you know, uh, exploration with like Google Street View and things like that. But uh, by and large, it's a gaming experience and augmented reality. Uh, hey, you know, Pokemon Go took the world by storm. Uh, also, you know, kind of a gaming experience to a lot of people. Talk about VR and AR not being just a gaming platform and what are their current, I guess, kind of adoption rates? Like, are people, you know, uh, continuing to adopt this in, in their day-to-day lives and what are they using it for? Sure. So, yeah, the first thing to note is that none of these technologies are mainstream yet, for sure. Um, if you, you know, if you're familiar with the, uh, the Ghana cycle, uh, we've been through the peak of, uh, inflated expectation, I think it's called, uh, mm-hmm. which is that happened in 2014 when Facebook bought Oculus uh, for close to $3 billion. And everyone thought that the next year, everyone would use VR, right? Um, which was obviously a massive hype by the hardware manufacturers. Um, I mean, you know, things take time. You can see how long it took to for mobile to develop from 2007, the first smartphone, Um, If you talk to advertisers, it's actually either this year or last year that video on mobile actually overtook, uh, you know, banner spend, right? And we've been talking about mobile, we've been talking about video for years, but things take time. There's a lot of inertia uh, in this this industry for things to change. So uh, it was very foolish to think that VR would just become mainstream that quickly. So I think people are very quick to forget that this is an industry that is, you know, three, four years old. Um, and if you if you have that in mind, then the progression has been very, very um, exciting and uh, and actually very, very positive. We're now approaching what the, the cycle would call the slope of enlightenment. Um, you know, we are actually finding use cases beyond the gimmick. Um, in terms of the actual market, VR at the moment is about 12 million monthly active users uh, using all kinds of devices. So it's still small, but the retention is massive. Uh, you got people using that technology on average 15, 20 minutes a day. Uh, of course, they're early adopters, but it still, it still shows that you know, there is already content that is becoming to be very, very interesting. Um, what's more exciting in the industry, of course, is augmented reality. Um, you're talking about a current audience uh, of 400 million people that have AR capabilities on their phones. Now, they don't necessarily know that they actually have AR capabilities. And that's, that's the funny part um, is that, you know, they have an iPhone, they have an Android phone who supports AR, but the content currently available is, is also very limited. But that's a much more... Um, positive kind of outlook than the VR industry because it's not limited by the hardware. Everyone already owns the hardware. And what we need right now is just more exciting content um, to actually hit the app stores. And this is happening. We see, you know, studios like Niantic, uh, you mentioned with Pokemon Go, that are developing new titles. Um, You know, these frameworks have only been released at the end of 2017. So you need to leave some time for the developers to actually come up with ideas Test how it works. You know, these are these are really new framework. There are still some issues with the tracking that are becoming better every day. Um, but it's still it's it's the beginning. But what we really see as being really really interesting for us is really taking a step back from you know these different frameworks and technologies. But it's to think that VR AR is really one part of one big thing, which is the immersive media. And what this, what this means is that for the very first time, we are going to be able to tell stories and, and show uh, content without the need for a screen, a 2D screen. We're going to be able to move beyond the screen. And that's a huge, huge transition. Yeah. Uh, it's really a new interface. Um, you know, if you look at the past, we've had two changes of interface. The first one was the printing press. We used to talk about things. Uh, the printing press allowed us to put it on paper and to spread knowledge and basically start, you know, the modern education. Um, and then it took about 500 more years to move from physical data um, to digital data using screens. So that's the two changes of interface that we had so far. And now we are approaching a third one where for the first time we don't need a, a rectangular screen anymore, but we can have data outlined in front of us uh, on top of the real world. 
And that really, I think, marks a very, very big change for humanity because, you know, the screen as we know it is as peaked, right? We are, uh, we can't really put any more pixels on an iPhone screens because our eyes can't even see the difference. So we're limited by the biology of our own eyes, not by the technology anymore. So if we want to continue to innovate, um, we have to find a way beyond the screen. And I definitely believe that immersive tech, whether it's VR and AR, that doesn't really matter. This is just a, a matter of a different level of immersion. What matters is we're going beyond the screen. Um, and once you understand that, you know that it's not going to affect only the gaming industry, of course. You know, in the 80s, um, hardware manufacturers were also using games to try to sell more, more laptops and more, uh, more PCs because gamers like to spend money on tech. Uh, mm. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very natural uh, audience to tap into as early adopters. And we're seeing the exact same thing here. I think, you know, the industry would eventually move, change the marketing um, from purely games to becoming something uh, more general. We're going, we start to see a lot of application in entertainment, in, you know, retail, uh, commerce, education. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, just personally, just to, uh, you know, one of the most exciting things that I saw was actually, it was either, it was either National Geographic or, or the BBC that they they were doing journalism in virtual reality where they would go to a location, they would do on-site reporting. And instead of just having a camera where they could be like, Hey, you know, here, here's everything that we're shooting. And it's, you know, very traditional. They brought a 3d camera and they were able to put you into situations. And again, through, you know, good audio recording, good video recording, you were able to, I guess, instead of see what was going on there, you were able to experience it to some degree, yeah. what was going on there. And it was, it was a very powerful medium to get, a you know, like you can read a news article, but you know, let's say uh, rebels are fighting in a town and you know, you have buildings blowing up around you. That's a very different experience to, you know, kind of put yourself sure. into. Yeah. It's, it's the next level, right? We started telling stories. We ended up writing stories, then we move to pictures, then we move to videos. We've always had the need to storytell in a way that is more realistic. This is not new. Being in the video, <laughs> in a way, uh, in 3D around us, that's just the next level. It's just the natural, the natural evolution of, of video as it is. Um, so, you know, it's, all of this stuff is not just happened uh, over the past few years. It's a natural evolution. If you look back at the history of media, you can see very clearly that we've always tried to get more immersed into the action, tell stories in ways that, you know, convey the emotion, the empathy of the content in a better way. Um, this is what virtual reality, augmented realities are going to do. It's a new interface and therefore it's a new way to storytell because we've used interfaces media as a way to storytell, whether it's for, you know, reporting news or fiction or um, creativity, whatever it may be, that's really going to be a new creative media. So tell, and, and uh, so let's get to the technical side of it. We have a couple minutes here. Uh, Samuel, I'm going to ask, uh, would you mind staying over? Uh, you know, we're about to head off into break in about two or three minutes. Would you mind staying over to uh, continue our conversation? Absolutely. Yeah, Perfect. my pleasure. Perfect. So, uh, but we do have like two or three minutes here. So let's talk real quick about the technical side of it, because like a lot of tools out there, uh, you know, you could have the best of intentions, you could have a really great product, but if the people who have to implement it, if the game designers, if the AR tech developers, if they can't figure it out, then, or, or if it's cumbersome or clunky, uh, you're not going to get much traction. So talk about the technical side of it and I'll, I'll, I'll stop you. I'm sure somewhere in the middle here, but how does For one sure. go about implementing AdMix? So it's quite simple. Uh, we currently have an integration with Unity at uh, the software that most developers use to create their 3D content. So it's a free plugin. You uh, basically download it for free, integrate it with Unity. And then from there, you have a simple interface where you can literally identify areas of your content that you want to sell to advertisers. Uh, you can say, I want a banner on this wall, I want a video here, and I want a 3D placement somewhere on this table. That's really what you do. You literally drag and drop it, you, you select the size, and then that's it. From what you have to do within Unity, that's, that's all it is. You can publish your app uh, in the store as it is, 
And then you can manage everything from a web interface that we have from where you can basically, for each of the placements that you've created, you can select the type of advertisers you want. So again, the two things that I mentioned earlier, non-intrusiveness, you set that up in Unity, and then relevance, you set that up within our web platform. You press a button and we are fully programmatic, meaning that we sell that to a wide network of advertisers. So we always have buyers ready to buy these spaces, uh, whether they are 2D and very soon 3D. Very, very cool. So, and, and hey, you wrapped it up to, uh, I'm sorry, you wrapped that up in the perfect amount of time. Perfect. So uh, everyone, the music means we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. More Samuel Huber, uh, Huber here in just a minute where we talk about, um, you know, kind of the future of AR, VR, what revolutions need to happen and uh, and more. So everyone stay tuned. Computer America, AdMix, uh, right after this. Greece is cheap. But the airfare costs a fortune. Paris? Not much closer. And again, airfare... What about Puerto Vallarta? Let's face it, flying anywhere is just too expensive. Wait, what's this? Low-cost airlines. With one call to low-cost airlines, you'll drastically slash your travel costs. We're talking insanely low airline prices to any of your favorite destinations. Where would you like to go? London, Rome, Costa Rica, Australia? Wow, that's cheap. So why wait? Call now to learn how crazy cheap it is to fly anywhere in the U.S. or international. Our prices are so low, we can't publish them. The only way to get them is to call to instantly hear the most amazing best deals on airline travel. It's that easy. So call now and start packing. 800-215-4461. 800-215-4461. That's 800-215-4461. We are all Brother Wolf. Ten years ago, a group of locals banded together to create positive change. We took animals into our homes, held adoption events at local retailers, and talked to the community about our mission to help build a no-kill Asheville. A decade later, we have achieved so many victories for animals in need. There's been so much progress, yet there's still so much to do. As part of our year-long celebration, we encourage you to become a member of our special Compassionate Circle program. With a monthly donation of $10 or more, you will have behind-the-scenes access to the work we are doing at Brother Wolf. Our goal is to reach 1,000 members because we receive no government funding. Working together, we can help build and sustain no-kill communities. Learn more at CompassionateCircle.BWAR.org. We are a 501c3 tax-deductible organization. And welcome back to the Computer America Show. Real quick, before we get started again, uh, if you missed any part of today's interview uh, you know, with AdMix and with Samuel, then feel free to go wherever podcasts are heard and you'll find Computer America right there. And uh, yeah, you can download the show in its entirety. It's simply today's live radio show, uh, saved, recorded, and you know, hey, made available for time shifting, just so that if you happen to miss today's show, then uh, hey, However, you can get Computer America into your lives. That is uh, that is the best way. So, uh, but for everyone else out there, we continue on with our conversation with Admix. They are a VR AR uh, uh, advertising kind of platform and service that uh, you know is able to put realistic, well, uh, you know, non-intrusive ads into uh, you know into different program uh, into different projects, and all around, it's just a new iteration on advertising that isn't as uh, clunky, I guess would be the best way to put it. So very interesting conversation so far. And Samuel, again, thank you for continuing on with us. And yeah, and uh, and I wanted to, uh, you know, kind of take this extra time here to talk about, you know, we talked about the adoption rate not being what everyone was kind of hoping it would be. You called it, you know, kind of the overhyping by the hardware companies. Because obviously, you know, hey, they they would love nothing more than to sell uh, 150 million units in the first year. But uh, that didn't happen, surprisingly. But, you know, gradual adoption has continued. Uh, the, the demands of the average graphics card, you know, what used to be... A two thousand dollar computer on top of a you know uh, on top of an eight hundred dollar uh, viewing you know kind of HTC Vive or Oculus Rift, um, 
those costs have come down. You know, you could probably get a whole kit and caboodle for, you know, probably eleven, twelve hundred dollars, and you know that's half the price in like two years. Um, obviously, and and then of course you mentioned phones are another great way that you could do AR VR. Um, the the technology is becoming more accessible, but. I think the full-blown experiences that we're talking about, that we're all hoping for, and you know, content to be, to be made available for us, that's still in the works. And I wanted to ask you, as someone who's you know kind of doing this as you know doing this as a day job, when or I'm sorry, not when what what uh, what revolution has to happen? Is it going to be uh, the core being cut from you know the more powerful machines? Is it uh, you know? better content that people are just going to have to experience in VR or AR. Um, what is that revolution that's going to say, why would I go to a website when I can download their app and experience it in, in, in virtual reality? standalone you just press a button it's on you charge it just like you charge your phone and you can have a pretty good experience for only two hundred dollars which is which is amazing and you know this just came out a few months ago um two years ago this was not even remotely possible so that just shows how we've been having and having the the price of the, these, these devices as we progress so that's one thing the mm-hmm. second thing of course is is the content as you said um today if you look at you know the steam um, shop or uh, the Oculus store, um, most of the content is, is still games and is marketed at gamers. So this is what we were talking about earlier that, of course, VR is not going to be only for gamers. But right now, most of the audience that is excited about it are gamers. And that is why the industry is responding that way by targeting those early adopters first. But what I think that is really, really necessary and what we don't have today in VR is what I call the FOMO factor, uh, which is, you know, the fear of missing out right. that at the moment is not really instigated to the users. No one is, you know, watching a video or thinking, wow, I really need to do that immediately and I need to buy the headset to be able to enjoy that experience. And one of the reasons why this is not the case is because explaining VR on a 2D screen is kind of like trying to explain cinema just by using words. You know, it's a new interface, right? It's, a, it, it's so much more than just having some 3D content. You feel emotion. Um, the, the, the sensation that it gives you when you try those experiences is something that just cannot really be explained on a 2D screen, uh, just like music cannot be explained with words either. So it's kind of, we haven't really figured out yet how to sell this new interface without having people try it. And it might be very hard or even impossible um, and so this is why I think that location-based VR, like arcades, where people can just pay, you know, $5 and have one experience are really going to be important to educate people and to tell them, you know what, you can actually have this at home. Why don't you just try before you buy to see if it's something you like? And if you like it, you can actually buy the, the, the headset for $200 and enjoy this experience at home. And what has always been very, very important to me is that every time you know, we go to a lot of exhibition conferences, show, and we have these simple experiences that we um, give to people and they can try VR for the very first time. And I can really remember maybe one or two cases where people left disappointed over literally thousands of people. Like the experience is great. Everyone loves it. There's no doubt that the value is there. It's just there is a lot of friction and there is a lot of kind of ignorance about what value uh, VR and AR will be able to provide in the future. Uh, So I think, you know, this is all about education and this is um, what we're trying to do at Admix, of course, is not just sell advertising. We're really trying to educate the community. We've um, spin up a department called the Admix Academy, which is all about empowering developers to, you know, market their application, explain to people what they're doing, 
Um, and we think that's really, really important because we need to be able to sell that industry. We need to be able to explain what we're actually doing. We're not just playing around with the next generation of console, but we're really building a new way to share experiences and information. Yeah, and you know, and, and like I said before, there are numbers. Uh, there are a number of ways that I've seen this implemented. Very, uh, you know, being very interesting. Like we had a guest on uh, a couple of months ago. They were in charge of actually. Oh, how do I say it? They were in charge of going to national monuments or you know places or like art galleries that are temporary uh, installations, and they would um, actually photograph them in, th- in VR so that you could walk around, let's say, a museum exhibit that was traveling, you know, and it would never be put together again. But you were able to save it in VR. Like, yeah, I, I I think that those experiences you can only have in VR. It has a place. There's no doubt about that. But again, it's about getting people to it. But it's also about getting the content. And as much as you know, we've been saying advertising a lot. And trust me, it's not lost on me. A lot of people they don't like advertising. But I think it's because advertising has been done wrong so often. Like. That's right. Uh, getting advertising clicks and click throughs and just getting any kind of attention, even if it's bad attention by accidentally mixing or uh, missing that little X or that little X being fake. Um, people have been incentivized to yep. give bad advertising. That's not exactly what we're talking about here. You're talking about doing advertising right in a medium that doesn't have any, and I guess empowering people to, you know, because obviously if no one gets paid for their work in AR and VR, you only get products that are pushed by, you know, multi-billion dollar companies or you only get products that are passion projects and, you know, have those limitations set on them. Like you're talking about helping people, right? Absolutely. And I mean, you know, we have to remember that the advertising as it exists today with all these faults, uh, you know, I'm not saying that, I mean, there's terrible practices uh, happening, terrible things, but this is still the reason why, you know, the internet, this amazing thing is free. Uh, this is really the backbone. This is powering the entire ecosystem. So, you know, this is, we, we kind of just following the same idea, but we think that we can do it in a much better way because it's, it's been abused. There's been a lot of really terrible things uh, that have happened in terms of not only the way that is displayed to the user, uh, but also what happens in the back end with personal data, uh, the way that this is, you know, sold. Um, to different parties for different reasons without the concern of the user. So we're just kind of starting from a blank sheet and thinking that what people hate is not advertising per se. It's really, it's really being disrupted um, and you know being misled to uh, by using the date, their personal data in a way that they didn't agree to. That's really what pisses people off. Right. Um, the fact that this enables other people to make a living so that they can create better content for them. People don't hate that. They love that. In fact, the only thing that people hate more than advertising is probably paying for stuff, right? So, you know, advertising really powers, it's, it's, a, it's a proven business model um, that powers every single media revolution uh, from, you know, the radio to the newspaper to TV. This is not going to be any different for VR and AR. Uh, but what we have the opportunity to do um, is really to build a better way to do it because, of course, it could be abused as well. And you know, you can easily close a pop-up on your mobile, on your desktop, but it's if it's in VR, and if you have a company that develops a terrible kind of advertising that breaks all the immersion, that could be terrible for the industry. So we're really coming here first and th- and saying, you know what, we can do a better job at this so that no one actually ruins this media with the terrible things that happened in the past. Right. Um, and so Which... we bring our own advertising experience, our own content experience. I mean, we mostly on the developer side, we have built content, we have struggled to develop content. So the last thing we want is to create a bad experience for the users and for the publishers. Right. And which brings us kind of full circle back to what we were talking about just a second ago. And uh, on your website there at the bottom, you have uh, a couple of different links. Uh, obviously there's, um, you know, the, you have the Oasis, AdMix uh, Academy, Pioneer Podcast, the blog. Uh, I'll go ahead and, you know, this will be one of the final questions we ask, but what other information can people find at your website? 
Uh, yeah, so uh, something that is really, really in- important for us is, is the Admix Academy. And that's really um, how we are promoting our product and the community of creators that we are uh, trying, to, trying to build. So we've, um, we've created a community on Facebook that just reached 4,000 members. It's called VR AR Pioneers. Uh, it's completely free. You can just join in. If you like VR, AR, if you want to learn more, we're constantly sharing uh, resources, information, um, you know, a list of ways for VR companies to get funded or ways to, um, you know, get in touch with some podcast recorders to get more PR. So it's really trying to help them not build a product because we know that they are very talented at this, but it's how do they turn this product into a business? Uh, and of course, as part of that is also how we can help them monetize, which is where uh, we hope that they will use our solution, right? But right. that's really part of a much bigger thing that we're trying to do is is helping these guys turn their idea, turn their passion project into a business. So that's one of the things uh, that you can find on our website. Um, and there's a couple of other uh, things that we are part of as well. One of them is the Virtual Reality Blockchain Alliance, uh, which is... Um, led by High Fidelity, and it's basically uh, a, a, um, a group sorry, that is trying to advocate for um, privacy rights, identity um, standards in virtual reality and augmented reality. So as advertisers, of course, we take privacy very seriously. We actually process a very, very limited amount of personal data. We think that VR, AR gives us the ability to focus on contextual data, what happens around the user. Uh, so we want to be part of these groups because they are really shaping the way, shaping the new standards for privacy and for identity. No, and and of course, uh, I'm seeing here that, you know, kind of seeing the videos in real time happen as well. Uh, you know, it looks like it doesn't demand a lot of the, I guess, computing power. Like, it, it doesn't lag everything down. It's, uh, you know, it just kind of slips right No, in. it doesn't. Yeah, so um, to go into a bit of detail, so of course, you know, this, this is streamed on top of the experience. Uh, we load the experience first, uh, and then, you know, this is basically like a, if you can think of a, a, an ad on the, on the web, the, the content loads first, then it calls a server that eventually serves this ad, this, this ad. And we're doing the same. So we have our own algorithm to compress this. If it's a 3D model, we've, we've came up with our own way to render that directly on the runtime in the 3D content. So a lot of work that we do is, is literally this kind of optimization work to make sure that you know, this ad appear at the right time uh, so they don't just appear you know, a few seconds after, which would be weird. Um, and we're just trying to, again, create the best experience possible for the users first uh, and second for the developers. Right. No. And, uh, and I guess with that, I mean, you've really outlined your product. Uh, it sounds very, very interesting, of course. And uh, I'll go ahead and leave you with this. If people want to find out more, uh, is your website the best place to go? Social media? Where can people go to find more information? So admix.in is definitely the best place to uh, find more about the uh, company. Uh, and from there, you can find our Facebook group, VRAR Pioneers can just search for that in on Facebook. And that's really where we're trying to bring as much value as possible for the VR and AR community and enthusiasts. So uh, if you're interested in VR, learning more about the business side of it, uh, please join the group. Perfect. And uh, of course, we have a link to that in the show notes as well. And I want to say, Samuel, thank you so much for joining us. I know that we kept you long, but uh, very interesting no conversation. It's my pleasure. Yeah. Th- Thanks, it- Ben. It was great to be on. Yeah, it was, it was our pleasure to have you, and we look forward to talking with you because, hey, you know, it, we, we've had it before with other guests that, uh, you know, we, we talked to you today, and then in a year, you come back on, and things have really changed. So looking forward to uh, seeing where you guys are, are, are going to go. Absolutely. I'll make a note of that for a year from now. <laughs> Will do. All right, same. Have a great day. Thank you so much. Thank Bye-bye. you, Ben. Bye-bye. All right, and there he goes, everyone. So again, Admix, you can find them, uh, a link to the show note or admix.in, A-D-M-I-X dot I-N if you want to check them out. But uh, yeah, thank and again, thank uh, thank you guys for coming on the show. So for everyone else out there, yeah, we continue on with Computer America. Obviously, we enjoy it when our guests stay over, but that means that our computer and technology news segment does kind of get pushed over a little bit. Um Let's see. Uh, let's see. I'm sorry. One second, folks. 
All right, everyone. So, uh, but that means that our computer and technology news segment is pushed over a little bit. But we, uh, yeah, hey, you know, we're going to continue on here. So, computer and technology news. Let's go ahead and get it underway. All right. So, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, sure. So yeah, let's uh, let's go ahead and uh, get into some of our uh, some of our news. And we had a couple of stories left over from yesterday. Uh, given the, the time constraints, uh, money, yeah, I actually have to push those over uh, once again. Let's talk about uh, you know what this this one is applicable to what we were just talking about, and one of those uh, you know kind of quote unquote revolutions that have to happen. And you know what we talked about it before. But a big pain point when it comes to augmented reality, virtual reality, that kind of thing, um, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's that cord. And yes, you can use your cell phone, you can use your smartphone, you can, uh, you know, you can buy the $200 headset. There are a lot of ways around it, but you're still going to get a suboptimal experience if you're going from a pretty beefy computer to a pretty beefy display that you're strapped onto your face. But that cord has tripped people. It has become a nuisance. It is a pretty big barrier for, you know, people thinking that, you know, it, the, the technology is not really fully developed. It's, it's the best of a bad situation. Well, enter the news today that you can pre-order in a couple of weeks the HTC Vive wireless adapter. That's right. One of the most powerful players in the market will have a wireless adapter so you can finally, finally, finally not have a tail whenever you play these games. But kind of on the unfortunate side, it will cost you a whopping $300. Pretty incredible. So, uh, this coming to us from Engadget, and uh, yeah, 14 months after HTC and Intel first showed off their wireless VR prototype, the two are finally ready to ship the product. And according to HTC's announcement today, the Intel YGIG-based, so uh, I would assume like Wi-Fi, but you know, kind of shorter range, uh, higher throughput, uh, YGIG-based Vive wireless adapter. It uh, is priced at $300 and works both on the Vive and the Vive Pro. And though the latter requires an additional $60 for compatibility pack, uh, it includes a connection cable, foam padding, and an attachment device. But for those who have been longing for this upgrade, they can pre-order it wherever you pre-order your technology. And so, obviously... They said that the only system requirement is a PCIe slot on the PC or an external PCIe enclosure for installing the wireless adapter sensor. So the sensor is then good for up to six meters and, uh, and with a 150 degree field of view, so long as the direct line of sight to the wireless adapter is on one's head. And better yet, you can have multiple Vives, uh, Vive users taking advantage of the wireless adapter in the same space simultaneously. Obviously, because it is wireless technology, uh, it will beam out the information that you need, and then anything in the area that can catch it, well, they're all going to display the same thing. So, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, so, given that the Vive is currently available for... $500, the wireless kit for $300, that brings us right back up to $800 where the Vive was initially. And I think to a lot of people, where the Vive should have been in the very beginning, which was a wireless device. But regardless, hey, uh, it's here. That's something to celebrate. Uh, the price tag may not have been what we wanted, but... Uh, yeah, this this is even though it looks a little goofy. So anyone out there who who's simply listening and can't see it, uh, obviously it looks like a Vive or a Vive Pro, but then it has this kind of horn thing that comes up behind the head, and that would be the wireless adapter. Uh, not stylish, but functional, and that's all you need it to be. 
So they said that uh, the included HTC QC 3.0 power bank will last for up to 2.5 hours. And you can obviously buy more for the, from the official website and, or simply make do with cheaper USB batteries. So essentially two and a half hours. I think that's a pretty good amount of time. Uh, not many people have the stamina or the stomach to do VR for longer than two and a half hours. So I think they did pretty good when it comes to battery life. Anywho, uh, you can check it out there. Uh, we have this link to it in the show notes, but uh, I'm just glad that it's finally, finally, finally available. So, okay. So there's that story. There's, let's see, there's a couple of stories here I really wanted to get to. Um, okay. Here's one that is branching off of a story that we did with one of our correspondents at the, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, earlier in the month, we talked to uh, Mr. Scott Schober. He's the author of Hacked Again. And, you know, he uh, he's Computer America's resident cybersecurity expert. Well, here we go. Uh, one of the one of the quote unquote hacks, we're, we're going to call it a hack that uh, that they were perpetrating more social engineering, which is they were sending people emails because, you know, hey, emails are available out there. They're uh, pretty easy to come by, but they were mass spamming people emails and they were tricking people into uh, sending them money and exactly how they were doing it. It was a very compromising ordeal where they were saying that, hey, we have, uh, you know, we hacked into your webcam. We, um, let's see, we hacked into your webcam. We turned it on. We recorded video of you watching, uh, well, pornography, you know, no other way to put it. And obviously none of this happened. None of this took place. Um, not saying that it's impossible. Obviously that's what gives that little kernel of what if to this whole scam, but they never had any footage whatsoever. And I believe that they also peppered the email in which they contacted you with a couple of other um, uh, tidbits of information that are available on, you know, uh, available on the open internet, which include like, hey, here's a password that you used at some point. You know, this is how we got into your account. So they laced a fake email or at least an email with fake claims with real information and that led people to really uh, entertain the notion that they were being recorded when they were watching uh, illicit material. And so we, ha- and that was something that we talked about with Scott Schober. Uh, you can go back and listen to the story, but here's kind of a follow-up. Uh, you know, even though he was getting calls day and night asking him what is up with this, turns out other people were just as happy to, well, send off the money. And they said that scammers were able to siphon off, sorry, were able to siphon off $500,000 from old password dumps with very little effort. Yeah. And really, that, that effort included, and I can tell you exactly how they did it. They had a script that would go through a downloaded list of emails that were still valid. And trust me, those are available anywhere. You can pay as little as like uh, tens of dollars, not thousands, not hundreds, tens of dollars to get an email list of like 500 million emails. So you create a script that will input this information, automatically uh, take a password from one of your past emails and put it into the email and send it off and include your Bitcoin wallet. And lo and behold, someone walks away with $500,000 worth of cryptocurrency. That is why it is so dangerous to uh, really, you know, really take into consideration whenever someone makes these wild claims. Um, yeah, you know, you really, you really, really, really want to do your homework. So. Unfortunately, this was one of those successful hacks, but um, 
yeah, you know, if it, if it worked once, you can bet we're going to see it again in some form. So long gone are the days of the Nigerian prince and hello, uh, we have video of you doing something you don't want to get out. So everyone, the music in the background means that, well, it's that time and Computer America is wrapping up. So if you want to check out anything that we do here at Computer America, computeramerica.com, we of course have a recording of our, uh, of our entire program as well as the video and more so if you want to check that out computeramerica.com and of course wherever podcasts are heard folks tune in tomorrow as we have on a company called spaces we're going to talk about everything that they do and more and in the meantime everyone have a great day thank you so much thanks again to our guests admix and uh, yeah catch you here monday through friday 4 p.m to 5 p.m eastern here on computer america have a good one